Hi again, everybody. I'm Dan Horde, and thanks for downloading the Bengals Booth Podcast. The you can't always get what you want edition. As A.J. Schulte from ProFootballNetwork.com joins me to take an in-depth look at NFL free agency where the Bengals obviously hope to get what they need. Then after that, I'll be joined by the Bengals' new running backs coach, Justin Hill, who shares his excitement about joining Zach Taylor's staff at the tender age of 32. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. And here's a quick reminder that you can have the latest edition of this podcast delivered right to your phone, tablet, or computer by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or Podbean. It's the greatest thing since iconic sports photos. This week, ESPN sent out a tweet asking the following question. What's a sports photo you'll remember forever? Thousands of people responded. And if I mention a few of the photos, I bet you can picture them quite vividly. Muhammad Ali with his bicep flexed, standing over a fallen Sonny Liston. Pete Rose flying parallel to the ground on a headfirst slide into third base. Joe Namath shirtless and relaxing by a pool surrounded by sports writers, the epitome of cool before leading the Jets to their Super Bowl III upset. Tommy Smith and John Carlos doing their black power salute on the victory stand at the 1968 Olympics. Tommy Smith, by the way, later played for the Bengals. I could go on and on, but I have a better idea. Go online and search for Sports Illustrated's 100 Greatest Sports Photos. You'll be glad you did. Now, let's get to football. Earlier this week, A.J. Schulte, who writes about the NFL for ProFootballNetwork.com, published a list of the top 100 NFL free agents in order. And it's not just a 1-to-100 list. A.J. cranked out more than 8,000 words in writing about each free agent in detail. He joins me on this edition of the podcast to discuss the Bengals' best options in free agency and the draft. AJ, the Bengals need help on the offensive line and on your comprehensive list of the top 100 free agents, 11 are offensive linemen. Of those players, who should the Bengals target and why? Well, I've, I've seen them linked to Joe Tooney pretty frequently out of the Patriots, but for my money, I, I don't exactly know how he would fit with Frank Pollock, who's wanting to go back to some more wide zone schemes, wanting to go to the original zone running that Zach Taylor wanted to bring over from Sean McVay. And so for my money, the big name that I'd be going after is Taylor Moton, the tackle from the Carolina Panthers. Excellent fit in the outside zone. He's great in pass protection, which is what they're really looking for. On that that right tackle spot, they need to protect Joe Burrow as best they can. Uh, To me, I think he is a great fit of obviously talent, The quickness is there to execute the scheme and they have plenty of cap space to go and get him if they, if they choose to. Let's say that Carolina tags him or extends him and Taylor Moten is not available. And some of the other high profile guys wind up being unavailable. Are there players near the bottom of your list or middle of the list, or even outside of the top 100 Mm -hmm. who would still be an upgrade for Cincinnati? Yeah, I think Daryl Williams is a target that I, I would definitely consider. Depending on his price range, he 
has really he really had a great resurgent year last year with Buffalo. Could play guard. He can play tackle. Uh, he, he he would excel on the inside zone concepts at guard. He's proven he can play pretty well at right tackle and hold up in pass protection. I like his IQ. I really believe that he's he's in line for a nice payday. But I don't think he's going to be the highest paid right tackle like Taylor Moton would come close to. Moton would come close to Trent Brown's contract. Uh, some other guys, I think if they want to go try and poach Matt Filer from the Steelers to play guard or tackle for them, he's played both with the Steelers. He would be an upgrade at left guard. A guy that didn't make my list because I've only seen a few high-quality games, but he really came on at the end of last season with the New York Jets is Pat Elfline. At guard, he really would fit in with Frank Pollock's scheme. He's cheap, you could, considering that he was cut from the Vikings last year and really only played a few games with the Jets, but he was really good with the Jets. I think if they're wanting to bring in a guy at left guard who could come in right away and would fit perfectly into that scheme without spending, without breaking the bank at on offensive line, he would be a guy I'd target as a younger option. If they want to go depth, I think Dan Feeney from the Chargers would be a good depth piece, but I don't think he should be your starting guard unless something happens. Uh, and then Nick Easton from the Saints would also be a guy I would bring in for depth, both pretty cheap. I'm glad you mentioned Matt Filer because he was not in your top 100, but that is a name that's come up quite a bit around here, probably because Bengals fans are used to seeing him with the Steelers. Was he, <laughs> was he close to your top 100? Yes. Yeah, he was He was really close. I thought he was better at right tackle than at left guard. And so I, I dinked him a little bit for that. I was I was going to put him at 100, right at 100. But I really fell in love with the guy I put at 100. And I just kind of had to put Dennis Gardick in there at, at the number 100 because he deserved an honorable mention at the least for how he played last year. Four Bengals free agents made your top 100, beginning with quarter, cornerback Will Jackson at number 21. How do you think the NFL views Will Jackson, and should the Bengals be willing to pay him top cornerback money? Jackson the third, for my when I was watching him, he stood out to me, but not as a CB like a high end Jalen Ramsey, a CB one, the guy that's going to get be paid among the top corners that wasn't what he stood out to me as I still think he's a very good corner one and he could be a, an excellent corner two for a team that can afford him but for I I do believe the Bengals should pay him simply because the corner market in both the draft and free agency is pretty dry I don't want to if I say dry that's not the right term but it's not there's a drop-off between Jackson the third and then the rest of the corners. And I don't think he's going to get, you know, 20 million a year like Jalen Ramsey guy. I think 10 to 12 mil per year, anything more than that would be an overpay because you know, Stephon Gilmore makes 13 mil a year and he's not Stephon Gilmore by any stretch, but he's still an excellent corner. I think the Bengals would be smart in investing and bringing him back, but I do think it's kind of telling that they threw all that money at Trey Wayne's last year. It didn't extend Jackson the third early. Your second highest rated Bengals free agent was Carl Lawson checking it at number 27. What's yeah. the market like for Carl Lawson among the NFL top pass rushers in this free agent crop? 
I I wouldn't be shocked if he breaks 14 mil a year. Uh, he he's so so talented. Uh, you know, the injuries the injuries have cropped up in the past, but last year his tape was just just awesome. His quickness, his ability to string moves together as a pass rusher. He had to be one of the best sack artists last year, in my opinion. He had one of the best sacks I saw of any free agents last year against Jason Peters. Uh, the long arm sack was just just nuts, and he does it so well. The ability to convert speed to power. I think he played better than Dante Fowler did, and Dante Fowler got three years, $45 million from the Falcons last year. And so I, I definitely think that the market is going to be steep for Lawson. I don't think he's going to break the bank and be the top paid edge rusher, but you 14, 15 mil a year, I would, I would expect something in that range. Did the Bengals consider franchise tagging either of those guys? It really depends on how they want to attack the draft. I think that is pretty key because the edge class in the draft is deeper than the corner class. And there's going to be better targets available at say their second round pick for edge than there would be for corner in, in my opinion. And so you have you have a tricky debate between – the Bengals can, can bring them both back. If they wanted to and both sides wanted to, they have plenty of cap space to bring both of them back. And they can create more if they need to. The, the problem is with if you, if you go into the draft without William Jackson III and your top corner is Trey Waynes, you're almost forced to consider a corner higher than what they deserve, right? Like I, I – there's a good shot that there's not a single defensive player taken in the top 10 this year. And that, and I mean, it, is it likely going to happen? Probably not. But the fact that it even could, and it's happened in several mock drafts you read, is kind of telling on the overall talent level. And I think that if they don't bring back Jackson the third, they would create a hole in, in the defense that they really can't replace in the draft. Carl Lawson is still a very good player, but they're in the second round. You can get another edge rusher better. who's better than a corner you could get at that spot. You're not going to get a corner one at, in your second round. It's, it's, it's very unlikely to happen. And so I think bringing Jackson the third back makes more sense. But, of course, if both sides want to bring both back, they can. A.J. Schulte is our guest. You can follow him on Twitter at A.J. Draft Scout. The third Bengal on your top 100 free agency list was Mackenzie Alexander. He checked in at number 73. If they mm. don't re-sign Mackenzie, and it doesn't sound like they plan to, they're probably going to need to sign a slot cornerback. How is the market in that category? Oh, the, the slot corner list is, is fantastic. I, I think I had four slot corners alone in my top 50 on there. And then you had a few guys below that, like Kewan Williams, from the 49ers and Cam Sutton from the Steelers. Again, if they want to poach the Steelers, there's so many talented nickel corners in both the draft and in free agency. I mean, if, if they want to bring McKenzie Alexander back, they can, but with how good this nickel class is, they might be able to find an upgrade. There's, there's plenty of talent. And even in the draft with guys like Elijah Molden, I think he would fit right in, uh, in, in the nickel spot. The second, maybe third round pick for the Bengals. There's, there's, there's plenty of options should they pass on bringing Mackenzie Alexander back. A.J. Green, major top 100, but just barely. 
at number 96. And you wrote that that yeah. ranking is more of a courtesy to what he's been in his career versus what he was in 2020. How much interest do you think is out there for AJ green and do any teams make sense in your opinion? It's, it's tough with AJ green because last year he really did not look interested for the, and I hate, I hate to say that because AJ green is a fantastic player, but maybe it was, it's the injuries. It's, it's maybe he just wanted out with the Bengals. He was, he was done. There's could be any sort of explanation, but last year there was a pretty clear drop off from his play to his past with all the talent at receiver in this free agency class. And then you look into the draft and there's a bazillion wide receivers in this draft. It's going to be tough for him to command a high market. I, I could see a team like maybe like green Bay, if they choose not to bring back Alan Lazard, he's a, he's an exclusive rights free agent, but they're so strapped on cap. Who knows? Kansas city, maybe they lose a couple of receivers in free agency as well but he's going to be really cheap. It's going to be a cheap one-year deal with a contending team, maybe Baltimore. And like, that's the best shot he's going to get. It, he's not going to get a high market, not, not this off season. Last year, a different story, but after the way the 2020 went for him, I wouldn't be too sure. AJ Schulte writes about the draft and free agency for profootballnetwork.com. Another Bengals wide receiver did not make your list of the top 100 free agents. John Ross, which is pretty telling for the ninth pick in the 2017 draft. What do you think of his future in the NFL at this point? It's tough with, with John Ross because it's always been more flash than substance with him. And when you look at the injuries, he only played, I think, three games last year for the Bengals. He's not played a full season in the NFL. So the market isn't going to be super what's what's lucrative for him and especially when you look in this draft class where there's a bunch of speed guys your teams are going to go i think i would rather spend a fourth round pick on this guy out of houston or whoever than you know spend eight million on john ross yeah he could he'll he'll get a shot because we've seen deep threats get revitalized careers later on like brashad perriman really revitalized his career uh nelson Aguilar has really turned, he really had a great 2020 with the Raiders last year. And so if he goes, maybe he goes to like the Rams. There's been plenty of connection between John Ross and the LA Rams because that's what they need. They're going to look for that guy who can stretch the defense vertically. And that's what John Ross can do. That's what he was drafted to do. He's proven he can. And with Matt Stafford, he could have a, a pretty revitalized career. But it, it, he's just not going to get a super, super big deal. It's going to be a cheap one-year deal, kind of say, hey, if you can make it, we'll make you a little more money. But if you're not, then we could just, you know, dump you in the streets. You know, you're, no, I'm passing on you. Well, let's stick with wide receiver because assuming A.J. Green and John Ross leave, and I think that that's a, uh, a good assumption on the part of Bengals followers, Cincinnati is probably in the market for a free agent wide receiver. I would think a deep threat to go with Tyler Boyd and T Higgins makes sense. Who fits that description? And do you see any good fits, particularly among kind of the moderately priced guys, since I think the Bengals are, are more likely to spend their big bucks on an offensive line or possibly even defensive line. Yeah. I think the, 
there's a couple of guys. I, I, I mentioned Brashad Fairman earlier. I think he's going to be cheaper. He'll probably be, uh, you could probably get him for two years, maybe eight mil a year, two year, 16 mil, mil deal. Uh, he was 15.9 average targeted air yards last year, which was fifth in the league. He was fifth in yards per reception last year. And I was playing for Adam Gase. I was playing for you know, with Sam Darnold and Joe Flacco and guys like that at quarterback. So he's proven he could be an effective deep threat. I don't think he would be super expensive. Like I said, two years, 16 mil is what I've seen him at. I think that's a pretty good price range for him. If they want to go even cheaper and they want to say, hey, you know what? He might be a little too high profile or he's going to get a deal that's more comfortable than I would expect. Kendrick Bourne is a speedster from the 49ers that I would expect to be a pretty hot commodity because he's not really used, I want to say correctly, because Kyle Shanahan's an offensive genius, but with the way their quarterback situation is and the way the offense is designed, Kendrick Bourne's speed deep isn't often utilized, right? Right? They're not, Jimmy G is not going to be the quarterback to stretch, to challenge defenses vertically, even though Kendrick Bourne can do that. And so I think if you're wanting a guy who can challenge vertically, he's good after the catch, which is something that Zach Taylor will want at receiver as well. Kendrick Bourne makes a lot of sense. I think he'll only be 26 years old too. So he's still younger. Uh, And then another vet that'll be cheap. Kenny stills, right. Has bounced around. He really had kind of trouble sticking with the Houston Texans because they had just such a talented receiver core last year with Deshaun Watson, but Hey, he's going to be cheap. He's, he's a proven and effective deep threat. If that's the way they're going, Kenny Stills, Kendrick Bourne, Brashad Perriman would be my top three prime targets. Let's go with a similar concept for pass rushers because the Bengals were last in the NFL in sacks last year. Their best pass rusher, Carl Lawson, is a free agent. Let's say they extend Carl or franchise tag Carl and as a result don't have huge bucks left for an edge rusher, who are some of the better guys that that might come in a more moderate price? There's a few guys that I think are a higher priced option, and then you've got some cheaper options. The higher, the higher but still moderate, uh, Ryan Kerrigan would be a, a phenomenal veteran ad. He might want to go play for a contender because he's been stuck on Washington for how you know who knows how long, but he's still a very effective pass rusher, even even though he played the smallest snap counts he's ever played in his career this past year because they got Chase Young. He was still phenomenal. He was getting after the quarterback, putting up tons of pressures and sacks. So I think he would be worth it. Trey Hendrickson from the Saints, I don't think is going to command a super high deal despite the fact that he put up like 13 and a half sacks, I believe is what he's officially listed at. Because some of those sacks were a little inflated. It might be there's some coverage or some cleanup sacks in there. But he's still a pretty good pass rusher. He could be a good number two to your Carl Lawson at number one. And he's not going to break the bank. The Saints can't afford him because they can't afford anybody right now. <laughs> but And then the last of the moderate price, I, I put him highly on my list because he played phenomenal last year. But I don't know how valuable he'll be. Uh, Romeo Okwara from the Lions, he was just outstanding last year as a pass rusher his sack the sacks he put up were just very high quality he put up a good amount of pressures but he's only had the one good year of film 
in teams after seeing how guys like Dante Fowler and some other free agents have panned out across the league, teams are probably going to be a little wary of throwing big money at guys who have only been producing for one year. But if you can, if, if that one year is he had that breakthrough, right. And Oh, like he knows he's figured it out. It's right. Which he looks like he did, right. These, these sacks weren't jokes. They weren't fluky sacks. They were really high quality sacks. And so if you're saying, Hey, you know what? Two years, 20 million, right. As a, as a cheap, we give you some flexibility there. If we can, if we, if you don't pan out, we could still move on. If not, you know, we still have you at a pretty decent price for two years. And then we can look at an extension later on. He's still young. And last year's tape was really, really good. And I don't think he's going to break the bank. And so, which is good if they extend or tag Lawson, because that's a significant cap hit. Let's turn to the draft with AJ Schulte from profootballnetwork.com. For months, Bengals fans have been lusting after Panay Sewell. But more recently, yeah. there's kind of a, a counter argument that has emerged that the Bengals should sign a tackle in free agency and then draft one of the top wide receivers, particularly if Jamar Chase is available to reunite him with Joe Burrow. Where do you stand? Depends on how they attack free agency. I don't like to get into projecting the draft until I see how free agency goes, because if they sit there and they go out and they sign Taylor Moton or they sign some of these guys in free agency to really boost the offensive line, and then they get an effective deep threat with one of the guys we mentioned, they, they open up a lot of flexibility in the draft, right? They don't have to take one guy or the other. They don't have to take Jamar Chase. They don't have to take Sewell. And, and so I think it's really just dependent on how they attack free agency. To me, I would still take Panay Sewell at five if he's there. You got to worry about Atlanta and maybe Miami. We'll see how that goes. But if he's there, to me, Sewell is the, the clear no-brainer for me. Wide receivers in the top five are, are a tricky evaluation because there's so many good wide receivers in the league that you can get later on. And it's almost these days, it's almost more about if you're not that dominant, like Julio Jones, Calvin Johnson, just that super freak Megatron kind of athlete, then taking you top five when I can get a guy with a similar skill set, say at 37 or 38, versus a very good tackle who's very young, his best football is still ahead of him it's tough, especially when you get into positional value and how they handle stuff like that. I don't know if Jamar Chase would be my pick because I think he's got a very similar skill set to T. Higgins. But obviously what Jamar Chase did with Joe Burrow in college was just fantastic. They were just a dynamic duo. Nobody could stop those two. So I don't think you could go wrong with either one, depending on how you handle free agency. Just my personal belief is I would go with Sewell, figure out the best five offensive line combination, and go from there. If you could put Sewell at left tackle and you sign Taylor Moton at your right tackle, they, you have the flexibility to hit him or Jonah Williams inside a guard too. That's just such a huge boost to your offensive line. And to me, that's the most critical position. Teams are going to start to take notice of teams like the Saints, 
and the Patriots and the Buccaneers and how they've built up the offensive line so long, that Super Bowl sticks out. Everybody remembers how this Chiefs offensive line looked, and they're going to go, I don't want it to look like that every game. <laughs> so I'm going to build up my offensive line. And when you've got a guy like Joe Burrow, you saw how many hits he took last year. You have to protect him. Should Florida tight end Kyle Pitts even be in the discussion at number five? I absolutely think he should. Kyle Pitts is my number three overall player mm. in the draft. I love Kyle Pitts. I think if if there's a scenario where you say the Dolphins at three take Jamar Chase, he's our wide receiver one. They need a receiver big time for Tua. They go out and they're like, look, this is the guy. We want him. So they take him at three. And then the Falcons pass on a quarterback. They say, hey, you know what? We're going to stick with Matt Ryan for another year. We need to build up the trenches because that's something Arthur Smith wants and Terry Fontenot at GM. That's something they're both big believers in. So they take Pene Sewell. You're the Bengals there at five, and you're going, well, my top two guys are gone. Jamar Chase and Pene Sewell are both off the board. I'm not a huge believer in Rashawn Slater. I've seen him put that high to five, even mock there. But Kyle Pitts, just what you could do with him, he should be a wide receiver. He should be listed as a wide receiver because he's he plays outside. He's not your traditional tight end. He's an absolute freakish monster. And if you can get creative with him, I mean, imagine, imagine Joe Burrow with T Higgins outside, you've got Tyler Boyd in the slot and then Kyle Pitts are sitting there at your inline other, your tight end spot. Who are you going to cover, right? You got to double cover somebody. And he would bring such a versatile mismatch weapon. You just, you've got to worry about positional value with tight ends, but he's not a traditional tight end in that sense. So I wouldn't really worry about it. I mean, you can line him up at X receiver. Florida did that. He can play that role with aplomb. So if if people are dismissing Kyle Pitts, oh, he's a tight end. I'm not going to take a tight end. Pick number five. I, if there's a quarterback there and they can get in, Cincinnati can trade down and still take Kyle Pitts, that's fantastic. You see if, if Carolina wants to move up from eight to five and you sit there at pick eight, you get Kyle Pitts, you know, you won the first round. You got a guy, you got a fantastic weapon for Joe Burrow. I'm a big fan of the idea of trading a few spots down if you could and getting a, an, an extra second round pick. If that scenario is on the table, I think that would be ideal for Cincinnati. Uh, yeah. Although I still think if Panay Sewell is there at number five, it's impossible to turn down. Yeah. Yeah. It, he's, he's so good. It, there are so many people overthinking Panay Sewell. Uh, he, he was 19 years old and he's out here just, bullying at future NFL guys into the dirt. I mean, he's so good, so talented. Don't overthink him. His issues are very correctable. And Frank Pollock is a phenomenal offensive line coach. And Sewell would just fit right in. Just boom, stick him there at left tackle. You don't have to worry about it. Don't have to worry about it. <laughs> it's been a while since Bengals fans could say, don't have to worry about it, about the state of the <laughs> offensive line. We'd love to get back to that point. <laughs> Uh, sometime soon. A couple more questions for AJ Schulte from ProFootballNetwork.com. What were your expectations for Joe Burrow going into his rookie year, and how did he measure up? Yeah, I didn't have expectations. I mainly just wanted to see how he translated outside of LSU. 
right? I think that was the biggest question everybody had was, okay, he had pretty much everything at LSU. How could he do with a new offense, a new offensive line, a new set of weapons, and how can he adjust NFL speed? That's what everybody really wanted to see. And that, to me, he looked really good as a rookie. If he, the the unfortunate thing is he was he did get hurt, which how much you know the offensive line he took just so many hits he was just bruised and battered, um, but the aggressiveness that he displayed as a thrower downfield he's willing to test targets that a lot of rookies are super gun shy. They're like uh, I'm gonna just take the check down because I don't know if I can hit that weapon. Joe Burrow was like, look, he's open. I'm gonna throw it to him. If it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. And, and, and that's that's the way you've got to be these days with, with some of these young quarterbacks. You want to see that because it's easier to coach a guy down from aggressiveness than it is to coach up in aggressiveness. And I think his aggressive throw percentage was like top three, top five in the league, which is phenomenal for a rookie. Uh, the, the downfield stuff was a struggle. I think the deepest pass was like 45 yards or the deepest completion was somewhere around there. But I think as his chemistry improves with these guys with a new, with a whole, hopefully full off season working, and then he's staying healthy, everybody else can stay healthy and they build around him. I think that's going to improve, but the escapability, the moxie, the poise he plays with, he's a plenty talented thrower. When you watch him, you just can't help but go. This guy is fun. He's so fun. Like I, I love watching Joe Burrow in college. And then when I watched him in the pros, I was like, this guy's it. And this guy has everything you want. The mentality he plays with, his ability as a leader, everything really stood out, even as a rookie, which is so rare. I, to me, I still think he's funny. People are going to say, oh, they should have taken Justin Herbert. I don't think Herbert would have been Herbert on the Bengals because Herbert did have quite a bit with the Chargers. Pat Hamilton, a quarterback coach, Keenan Allen at wide receiver. You know, he had there's always that question of, oh, well, they should have taken this guy. I think they got it right still with Joe Burrow. Yeah, nobody is in Cincinnati is complaining about that pick. Trust me. Uh, you published your list of the top 100 free agents in order earlier this week on profootballnetwork.com. I thought it was great. I mean, we all know the guys near the top of the list. Uh, but as you get, you know, beyond 30, beyond 50, beyond 70, it's a lot mm -hmm. of great information on those guys. It was really helpful for me, and I uh, highly encourage fans to check it out. Uh, what else do you uh, have coming up that we can look forward to at uh, ProFootballNetwork.com? We at ProFootball Network, uh, we're obviously, we're still fine-tuning our, our mock draft simulator. I highly encourage everybody who's interested in the draft to use that. We are getting ready to release our top 300 consensus board, uh, my rankings, Tony Pauline's rankings, and a few of my other co-workers. We're compiling our top 300s and making our consensus board out of that. Right now, I'm currently working on a piece comparing Rashawn Slater and Christian Darisaw is the offensive tackle number two in the draft because I think that's the competition between those two is closer than it is between Sewell and everybody else. I'm always trying to make new content, explore new opportunities. I'm trying to get some equipment to get into podcasting because I just, I just love talking sports. Stuff like this is what I live for. This is my favorite thing to do. 
So I'm very glad and very grateful that you invited me on. Well, now I don't feel guilty for taking 30 minutes of your time. So AJ, oh. I really appreciate it. Again, love the uh, guide to the top 100 free agents that you put out earlier this week. And uh, maybe you. we will uh, invite you back on closer to the draft. Oh, I would absolutely love to. Thank you. Thank you. That is AJ Schulte. Again, you can follow him on Twitter at AJ Draft Scout. This week, Tony Pauline from ProFootballNetwork.com, a previous guest on this podcast, updated his list of more than 900 draft prospects. His top four in order are Trevor Lawrence, Jamar Chase, Panay Sewell, and Kyle Pitts. Fortunately for the Bengals, there will almost certainly be at least a couple of quarterbacks taken in the top four, meaning one of those names I just mentioned will be available when the Bengals are on the clock. The Bengals Booth Podcast is presented by Bud Light Seltzer. It's light and refreshing with a hint of fruit flavor. The return of offensive line coach Frank Pollock was the most highly publicized change on the Bengals coaching staff in the offseason. But there were other moves, including the addition of running backs coach Justin Hill. He spent the last six years at Tulsa, where among other things, Hill helped two running backs top 1,000 yards in the same season back in 2016. I spoke to Justin about his new gig this week. Justin, you are an NFL coach at the age of 32. How did this opportunity come about to be a member of Zach Taylor's staff? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, you know, I mean, obviously my connection uh, with James Casey going back to playing together at Rice, uh, I think when I came in to, as a freshman, I was 18 and he was like 32 already. <laughs> uh, but we played together, obviously, for a couple of years there. And then he went on to, you know, play for the Texans and all that. And um, both of us getting into coaching after we graduated. And when he was done playing, we just kind of stayed in, in contact. And, uh, you know, I, I guess the opportunity came up for him to bring my name up. And, uh, you know, Zach reached out. And uh, the interview process went well. And, uh, you know, obviously I'm, I'm very excited to be here, uh, be a part of this organization. Uh, extremely lucky, extremely blessed. Um, but, yeah, I mean, just kind of kind of how things work, and uh, I'm excited about it. James Casey, of course, is the Bengals' tight ends coach, and the guys at that position absolutely love him. What yeah. did James tell you about being a member of the Bengals organization? Uh, I mean, obviously just told me what, what an incredible opportunity it is to coach in the NFL. Uh, and then also just being a part of the organization itself and just the group of people that we get to work with every day, you know, starting with Zach and, and um, the rest of the guys on the offensive staff. But just a good group of people that, you know, going from, from college to the NFL, obviously there's going to be some transition with, uh, and, and some learning curves for, for me, uh, just like there was James. But uh, the, the biggest thing is just the quality of, of people and their character. And, uh, you know, knowing that I can, I, I can lean on Zach and I can lean on Brian and Frank and obviously their expertise and their experience, but, uh, and, and then James as well. So I think just being able to lean on those guys and uh, help me with this transition, but just like I said, the quality of guys and, and being around an organization that cares about family and spending time with family is extremely important. We're chatting with Justin Hill, the Bengals' new running, back, running backs coach. You've been an assistant coach at Tulsa for the last six years. Was your ultimate goal to eventually coach at the NFL level, if you could? 
yeah, eventually. I, I didn't think that it would happen this soon. Uh, but yeah, I, I, that's something I've always thought about. Um, you know, you talk about coaching in the NFL, you're talking about coaching at the highest level. I mean, I'm, I'm one of 32 right now. That's, that's what James always says. And uh, so yeah, obviously I was extremely excited to, to take this opportunity, but I think this is always a goal I had, just didn't put a didn't put a date on it. Like I want to be an NFL coach by the time I'm 32 or whatever it is, but obviously the opportunity presented itself. And um, like I said, I'm extremely excited about it. One of 32. I say the exact same thing about being an NFL broadcaster. Trust me, right. <laughs> uh, Justin, your college playing career is really unusual. You are a highly successful high school running back in the Dallas area. You went to rice. You led the team in rushing as a freshman. And then as a sophomore, you moved to linebacker out of necessity, I assume. Yeah, yeah we had some injuries. I think both star linebackers had knee injuries in the same game. So uh, that popped me over to the other side of the ball. I, I had experience. I played a little bit of defense uh, in high school and I was recruited to play linebacker uh, at some other places. But uh, that's just how things worked out. And uh, I bounced back and forth a little bit my sophomore year. And then by my junior year, I was full time linebacker. But uh, my heart's always been on the offensive side of the ball. Did playing linebacker at the college level give you an understanding of defense that helps you as a running backs coach? Yeah, yeah, I, I think it did. Um, I, if I knew what I know now, I think obviously I would have been a whole lot more successful. But yeah, I think it uh, I think it helped me understand the game a little bit more. Obviously not as much as, as it has the past six years working at the University of Tulsa, but uh but yeah, I, I think I think it uh, things obviously move move fast. Uh, I think having a little bit of awareness of what's going on on both sides of the ball, you know, kind of slow things down for me, help the transition a little bit. And, uh, but I, I think it was uh, it, it was definitely a learning experience. I'll say that. You earned your undergraduate degree at Rice and right. earned a master's at Iowa State. Did you always put as much emphasis on academics as you did on football? Yeah, I mean, I think. It, it wasn't uh, so much me. I, I think I was just kind of driven that way by my parents. My mom, you know, was, was big on education. So uh, when we were looking at what college to, to attend, I think the biggest thing she wanted me to do was just make sure I, I got a good degree. Uh, and that was the most important thing. Obviously, I went into to, to coaching uh, and uh, came a GA at Iowa State. And, you know, obviously being a part of a, a college athletic program was, was priority number one. And, and then obviously finishing up my master's degree, that was a big part of that too. So, um, you know, I think they just kind of go hand in hand together. The Bengals have one of the NFL's top running backs in Joe Mixon. When you were at Tulsa and he was playing about two hours away at Oklahoma, did you see a lot of Joe Mixon coverage and, and begin to form an impression about his game? I think, uh, I mean, I think you can watch two clips of him play or, you know, watching the entire game to, to know that the guy's, he, he's special. He's playing at a completely different level than everybody else that's on the field. Um, so yeah, obviously, you know, him being two hours away in Norman or hour and a half, whatever it was, obviously knew exactly who he was, uh, knew a lot about him, knew that he was extremely talented. Um, and obviously I'm, I'm extremely excited to be able to work with him. You'll be working with a great veteran as well in, in Giovanni Bernard. How do you approach coaching a guy that's only a few years younger than you are? Yeah, yeah I mean, Gio, I think is, I'm, I'm really excited about working with him as well. In, in the entire room, um, 
But I, I think, you know, when I talked to all those guys, when I reached out to all of them, once I once I accepted the job, uh, the first thing I wanted them to know is just, um, uh, I'm going to do everything I can to help you get better. You know, um, I'm going to do everything I can. Obviously, I don't know all the ins and outs right now, the offense, and, and that's part of uh, this transition, but I'm learning it. I'm going to learn it, you know, front and back, and I'm going to do everything I can in my power to, to help those guys get better. And I think at the end of the day, that's what I'm here to do. You played running back. You're coaching running backs. Who are some of your all-time favorite running backs? <laughs> it's a long list. It's a long list. I, I'll start right now with, you know, obviously the, the guys that I, I coached the past six years at Tulsa. Um, I mean, had a great group every single year, but also just some high-character guys uh, that I enjoy coming to work with every single day. Uh, as far as NFL grades, I mean, I mean, I'm not going to sit here and say specifically. Uh, which ones, but, you know, just you say favorite NFL running backs or favorite running backs in general, I'm going to lean on, I'm biased. The guys that I got to coach the past six years, those guys are special to me, obviously on the field, but off the field as well, because they're great men. They're going to be great fathers one day. And uh, and then, like I said, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to working with this group of guys that we got here in Cincinnati. We're talking to Bengals running backs coach Justin Hill. The draft is a couple of months away. The Bengals typically have their position coaches help. Uh, look at the college prospects. Is that something that you look forward to doing? Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, it's been interesting this past week or two being in the office evaluating um, the college guys right now, and, and a lot of them I'm familiar with because I, I watch them offensively as we prepare for our opponents defensively. Um, and so a lot of the guys I'm familiar with, and, and some I'm not. And so um, it, it's 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 been pretty, pretty interesting, you know, carrying over a lot of the evaluation that we did recruiting, you know, uh, and then obviously having the, the scouts. I mean, as a college coach, I mean, you are you're the scout and you're, you're evaluating, you're finding out everything you can from the high school coach to parents and, and every every other person that comes in contact with a guy's life. Obviously, uh, being in the NFL now, that process is kickstarted by the scouts who do a great job. So. Uh, it's been it's been pretty interesting to just, you know, click on a guy and find out a ton of information, you know, with the with the snap of the finger. Um, but yeah, I, I'm, I'm excited about and I think there's going to be there's going to be some growing pains with that as well. You know, uh, there's something I was talking to Zach about this week. You know, I can I can point out a running back that I like, but does that make him a first round draft pick? Uh, does that make him a Hall of Famer? Is he going to be, um, you know, a, a is he going to be a Hall of Famer one day? I, I don't know what that looks like yet, per se. Obviously, I, th I think everybody can can recognize talent, but how does that translate into the NFL? Uh, that's going to be part of this learning process. Will you miss recruiting, or are you happy that's no longer <laughs> part of the job description? Recruiting is – it is what you make it. You know, I, I think that was – you know, the, the toughest part about recruiting, honestly, is just being away from my wife and, and my daughter. Um, but the rest of it, I mean, like I said, this this past week I've been in the office, I've been evaluating film just like I was when, when I was working at Tulsa, you know. Um, obviously, being on the road gets long, but at the same time, you, you get out on the road and you form great relationships with college coaches. I mean, that's how me and James stayed in contact. Obviously, we played each other when he was uh, – and coached against each other when he was at Houston. Um, but we also met up on the road. We had a lot of the same recruiting areas. So a lot of that networking with other coaches and then 
continuing to build relationships with high school coaches and my former high school coaches. Um, you know, that part of it, yeah, I, I'll miss that for sure. One final question for the Bengals' new running backs coach, Justin Hill. In your final year, this past season at Tulsa, you had a great team. You made it to the American Athletic Conference championship game and played in Cincinnati at Nippert Stadium, losing to the Bearcats on a field goal at the gun by Cole Smith. What's it been like to compete against Luke Fickle as he's built up the University of Cincinnati into a obviously an outstanding team in that league? Yeah, I mean, Coach Fickle, those guys do a great job on all three phases. Obviously, you know, they've got extremely talented players offensively and their defense. Um, I mean, and give you fits just because of how, how unique they, they've been. Uh, but and then on special teams as well, I was involved in the kickoff return uh, the past couple of years. And so it, I think obviously their physical, their discipline. Um, and, and, and honestly, it's, it's been fun to watch. You know, I say fun, but, you know, we played Cincinnati in 2016 and then watch them transform to what they've been the past couple of years. Uh, and then watch, you know, obviously we, we cheer for each other when they get to play a, a power five school in a, in a New Year's Six ball game. That's a big deal for everybody in the conference. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's been obviously their, their program is at a different place uh, than when it was when we first got to Tulsa. And I think that's that's a big credit to, to him and everybody he's got in on this staff. And, and then also the, the type of guys that they've been able to recruit, they, they're extremely talented everywhere on the field. I mean, they've got the linemen, they've got running backs. They, I feel like they got running backs every single year. Uh, and then obviously the quarterbacks and special players as well. So uh, it's been it's been fun to watch them play and then obviously lining up against them and, and having a coach against them. That part hadn't been the best, uh, but it's, it's really encouraging to see. And I, I think uh, obviously the program is going in a great direction. I'm sure the last few weeks have been a whirlwind for you. I really appreciate you carving out some time for us today. Welcome to Cincinnati and congratulations on this opportunity. All right, thank you. I appreciate it. We're excited. My thanks to A.J. Schulte and Justin Hill, and that's going to do it for this episode of the Bengals Booth Podcast, brought to you by Bud Light Seltzer. Refresh the game. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe, and if you have a minute, give it a rating or share a comment. That helps more Bengals fans find this podcast. I'm Dan Horde, and thank you for listening to the Bengals Booth Podcast.